Our first passage is from the Acts of the Apostles, the 12th chapter. It's just the 25th verse, and it says this. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, uh, that seems like just a quick reference, and in many ways it is, but it's referencing what we were talking about last week in that we were talking about one of our church's core values. We have four of them that we settled on, oh, a few years ago during COVID. So they're not necessarily as well known to us as our mission statement, connecting people to God's family, word, and way of life. The core values that we have, those four core values, are maybe a little lower on our radar or in the back of our mind, or you may even have still a magnet on your refrigerator on the side maybe or somewhere else. But our core values are what we're looking at. And last week, we looked at the concept of selfless generosity, that giving of ourselves. And we spoke about how that early church in Antioch received prophets who said there's going to be a famine throughout the land, and the early believers, those Christians in Antioch, determined that together they would give each according to their ability to the churches in Judea and Jerusalem. And then they sent Paul and Barnabas with their gifts they sacrificed. They gave of themselves. That was selfless generosity that we spoke of last week. The week before, we talked about intentional faith development, that we all have faith, but we're going to be intentional about that. We're going to be purposeful about developing our faith. And we've been advertising because of that, this uh, opportunities that exist, such as I mentioned the women's Bible study or studying some of the book of Kings or, or Romans uh, Bible study on Tuesday mornings or, or even the study of Acts with the men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, every other Saturday. There are opportunities for us, plus what we do in our own life at home, to purposely grow in our faith. But we read this passage today because it reminds us that each of these core values start to connect. Our faith isn't just head knowledge. Our faith isn't just a belief system. Our faith actually becomes a living out of what we believe. That because we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we, because we believe he came and died for our sins, because we believe that we live now in God's grace and not in our own strength, we now go out and exercise that same love and forgiveness to others. And it allows us to have a heart that is a heart that is like God's, that sees other people as God sees them, allowing us to be generous, but also to sacrifice in our generosity. And then also leading to the core value we're going to discuss today, which is the third core value, that is compassionate acts of service. Compassionate acts of service. Now, I remind you that in selfless generosity, compassionate acts of service seems kind of like two sides of the same coin, and in many ways it is, but it's speaking to what does that generosity look like? How do we interact with others 
to what lengths do we go? We spoke last week that we will have a special offering here on the 22nd, I believe it's, yeah, the 22nd of October for our sister church, Calvary Reformed in Cleveland, that we've invested so much time and energy with that they have a shortfall they expect this year. And there's more information in the bulletin or the newsletter about that, but that we're going to take a special offering for them. And we spoke about that last week. This week, we're going to move into Compassionate Acts of Service, which was something that many people did at that church, going to that church in Cleveland, helping repair and rebuild portions of their building. We entered into living with them and invested ourselves with them. We had compassion on the community that has great needs there, and yet the resources are limited. And yet there's a church that has planted itself there to care for a community that is under-resourced and in great need, and there's a compassionate spirit there. So now we're going to read another passage, a passage from the Gospel of Luke concerning our third core value, compassionate acts of service. We're going to read from Luke chapter 7, beginning at the 11th verse. Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the buyer. And the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. And began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Once again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a passage that's not often read or spoken about in worship. We're used to some of the more familiar passages, and this one is often glossed over. It's, it's passed over. And yet, it speaks of an incredible theme, compassion, of which we're speaking today. In fact, this passage that we just read is an incredible testimony to the artistic value, the careful thought that went into writing the gospel that Luke took. That certainly the Holy Spirit was very involved, but in this passage alone, we see three different threads woven together that, that the gospel writer Luke saw this just fits so well. It's kind of like some of you who work on quilts and you find just the right color and pattern 
And then you find that perfect border, you know, that makes it just right, that makes all the rest pop out. That's what it was like for this gospel writer as he, as he dropped in this reality into this part of the gospel, these three different themes knitting together. One theme is fairly obvious to the scholars who look this over. They can see that there's this reference to, at the end, that there's a prophet. Wow, there's a prophet here. And no surprise, there's at least six or seven different allusions to Old Testament stories of Elijah and Elisha's, the prophets, and their encounters with a widow, and their raising a son. There's multiple encounters here that the normal Hebrew, the Jew reading this or hearing this would have immediately triggered, oh, that's just like Elijah, or that's just like Elisha. There's a thread there that's in the story all about who is this Jesus? Such that we know later in the gospel, there's that question that Jesus puts and says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Everyone else is saying this, but who do you say that I am? So there's that thread flowing through here. There's this question of who is Jesus? But there's also the thread of compassion. In all of the New Testament, the word compassion is used only 11 times and throughout the whole of the New Testament. The Gospel writer Luke has three of those occurrences. The other two occurrences are powerful occurrences in our church memory. Throughout the global church, the two other occurrences are well-known passages. And in this case, this is the first occurrence in the Gospel of Luke with the next two coming along. And we're going to this time look from the very last expression of compassion and work our way back to this one. Kind of like sometimes when you go to a movie and they show you the very end at the beginning and then you get to see the rest of the story, how you got to that end. The final detail of compassion that Luke shares is when Jesus is talking about the parable of the prodigal son. In that parable, we know there are two sons, a a younger son and an older son. The younger son says to his father, give me my inheritance, give me my share of the inheritance, which in the time would have been an enormous offense, the equivalent of saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. What surprises us is that the father doesn't get rid of the son, but rather gives the son his share of the inheritance. And those of us familiar with that story know that the younger son goes off and squanders that money and all those resources, all that the father had to do, dividing. Imagine so many of us right now dividing your farms up right now to be able to give the inheritance to the children. And then that child goes and wastes it all. All those years of work, all that that's been passed down from generation to generation, just wasted, thrown away. We know in that story, the younger son comes to his senses and finally starts coming home, and he wants to just be just a servant in the house, just a, a slave, if you will. And yet, what we hear in that story is that the father is always looking off over the horizon, 
and hopes that the younger son will come back. And one day he does. There on the horizon, the father sees the younger son. He doesn't wait for the younger son to come back and say all that he's done wrong. Instead, the father runs to the younger son. And in that story, we're told that the father has compassion on his son. And of course, that story is more a story about God than it is about the younger son or the older son. It's a story about how great and wonderful our God is, that our God has compassion on us. When we run away, when we squander all that God has given, when we, when we totally mess up everything that God has been doing, that God still is there to have compassion on us. Working our way backward, the other occurrence that is well known to us is also a parable. It's a parable that Jesus tells when he's trying to explain an answer to a question that's been put to him. The question is, which of the commandments is greater? And then the, the answer is, a, you know, the summary of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so then the question comes, yeah, but who's my neighbor? All right, that level of love, you know, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And that's when Jesus gives us the parable of what's known as the Good Samaritan. A parable that has a language system that still makes it into the number of states in this union who have Good Samaritan laws on the books so that first responders, if they come upon a scene and they're not part of the instant response and yet they are a doctor or a nurse, that they can respond and care for someone without worry of being sued or other thing because they're caring. That parable that speaks of a man who is robbed and beaten on the path. This territory, this path that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho wasn't always the safest path, and the best way to travel it was to travel in numbers. I used to go to New York City a fair bit back when we lived out east, but I only liked to go in groups, you know? Somehow you felt safer as a group. Same with this path. Yet this man is robbed and beaten and left for dead. And the parable goes on to explain two different religious people, two different people who should know better, who see the man and they don't attend him. They walk by on the other side. And so many times we've heard it from the pulpit or other way that more than likely the suspicion is it's a trap. That person isn't really hurting or, or near death. It's just a setup that I go over and care for them and then someone else is going to pounce on me. Whatever the reasons, they pass by on the other side. The person that does stop is a Samaritan, which other than the name means nothing to us. But the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. They didn't just disagree with one another. They had real fights with one another. 
They'd done horrific things to one another. There had been multiple deaths and slaughterings. They don't get along. And Samaria lies in the middle between Jerusalem and the southern part of Israel and the northern part where Galilee is, such that most people go around. But Jesus goes through. And he gives this story that it's the good Samaritan. It's the Samaritan who stops and helps. It's the least likely person one would expect to stop. And what we're told in that story is that the Samaritan has compassion on the man. Compassion. So as we work our way back, we now work our way into our story from today. Where Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd is following him, that is typical. And he's making his way to another village, another town, this one called Nan. The only difference is this time there's a crowd coming out. As they get near that gate, that entrance point to the city, as the crowd approaches with Jesus, another crowd is coming out. But it's a very different type of crowd. It's a crowd, it's a funeral possession. And typical of that would be the person who's lost their loved one would be in the lead. In this case, it's the widow. And following her is the briar, the, 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 the stretcher carrying her dead son, her adult dead son. Order issues are all wrong. The, the child has died before the parent. It's horrific. And it's her only son. So it's all she had left. A widow in that society was dependent on everyone else. She had no husband to care for her, and now her son, who had been responsible for caring for her, is dead. Her life, in many ways, has ended. She is now completely dependent on whether others might be willing to care for her. Look at, in the early church itself, when, Jesus, when people started to follow Christ as the Messiah, the very first discussion or debate, the very first struggle in the church was over what to do with widows. Widows were a people that needed help. And now we see this vision of, of a woman who is marching and walking and leading this procession when her own life is at an end. And as the briar would have made its way through town, more and more people would have stopped what they were doing because that was the pattern. And you get in behind and you follow much like still happens today when we see a funeral procession of cars. doesn't matter whether it's red light or green light, the procession goes through and all other cars just simply stop. Only in that time, we would now get in line in our cars behind. These two crowds are coming together. And now we are dealing with that thread of compassion. But before we finally sew in that thread, before we finish that part, I want to move to the third thread that's in here. It's a thread that's harder to find. It's a thread that usually has to be pointed out to us. But if you were reading Luke all the way through, if you sat down to read it like a novel, you might happen upon this thread. You see, because at the very beginning of the gospel, 
with the proclamation that there was going to be this child that was going to be given to the people and raised up, we're told by the angel that he will be Lord. It's the thread of Lord. And angel proclaims that this child will be Lord. Not long after that, when this child is now a grown man, Jesus, and starts gathering to himself disciples, we get the story of Peter in the boat, and Jesus tells him to put out and, and throw the nets on the other side. And they fished all night, oh, come on, you know, and they catch all this fish. It's a story that's well known to us. It's a story that we know about it, where Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. That's what we know of the story. But it's in that story that Peter falls to his knees and says, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Again, the word Lord. No longer is it an angel proclaiming that he is Lord. Now it's one of the people saying, you are Lord. And again, that thread continues as Jesus is moving along and some lepers shout out to him and calling him Lord. Until it finally gets to this point in the seventh chapter. Just before this, a centurion, a Roman, calls for help from Jesus to help heal his servant. And he says, you don't even need to come because I know what it is to be over people and you, Lord, are over people. You know what it is to be Lord. You can say to this one, go and go and this is what happens. You can just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't seen so much faith in all of Israel. But in that, the centurion identifies him as Lord. So we go from an angel identifying as Lord, disciple identifying as Lord, someone who doesn't even know Jesus, lepers identifying him as Lord, and then even outsiders identifying Jesus as Lord. So that finally in chapter 7, the narrator switches from calling him Jesus. The narrator switches and says in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, it's a subtle switch, but it's purposeful. It's moving in the mind of the reader and the listener that who is this Jesus? Well, he's Lord. And now even the narrators come alongside and said he's Lord. But the question remains, what kind of Lord? What kind of king? What kind of master is this Lord? And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. What kind of Lord is Jesus? He's a Lord full of compassion for his sheep. Compassion. Same word that we see with the Good Samaritan. The same word that we see much later in the gospel when Jesus explains that the Father, his God, our God, is full of compassion. Compassion in that language means literally for one's um, guts to turn. I think you know what I mean when I say that. 
It's a word that captures that feeling when someone does nails on the chalkboard. Some of you even now got that chill, right? Or when you see something like um, someone's finger is broken and it's going the other way, and it just makes you like want to turn from looking at it. You know what I'm saying? That gut-wrenching feeling, that's the word here. It means for one's bowels, one's innards to just turn. That's the word. Jesus, on seeing her, is moved. Our English word, compassion, come, means with. Passion means suffering. Our word, compassion, means to suffer with. Pity looks on the outside and feels bad for the person, but looks from the outside. Compassion is to enter in with the person, to suffer with the person. Our Lord looked and was moved. He suffered with her. So we read it terribly in a mistaken way. If we read him as having no heart when he says, do not weep. As if he doesn't have a grasp of the situation. No, he fully understands and is in the situation. The Lord of life is coming to the very reality of death and he has compassion because that's what he's come. The light of the world has come into the world to give life. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Our Lord has compassion. He understands us, understands the desperate places we find ourselves in, understands the body of death in which we live and the struggle in which we are. And instead of judging us, instead of saying, you should have done this, instead of saying, you're wrong, and why are you wrong? What's wrong with you? Instead, he has compassion. He has entered into this world to give of his life for us because he loves us that dearly. And in that, he comes alongside the funeral buyer and there's all sorts of violations that are taking place in this. First, getting close to her and she's already considered unclean because she's been near the briar and now he himself touches the funeral briar. He reaches out and touches. He doesn't stay far off like he did with the centurion when the centurion says, hey, you can just say the word. No, no, his preference is to be there with. And he touches which would make him totally unclean, and yet he's not. He's not unclean. He's making holy. And he says, young man, get up. The Lord of life comes to give us life, not to take life from us, not to judge us, but to come and give us life. And compassion is the manner in which he does so. He enters into life caring for us and loving us and seeing our circumstances and being with us, not condoning all the things we've done, but he certainly understands, like the father who runs to the younger son. 
who as a younger son starts out his spiel, Father, I've sinned against you and against God, heaven. And before he can finish the spiel, the father says, quick, get the robe and, and get the ring and, and put it on him and go kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate what was lost has been found. This is the God whom we serve, a God of compassion. And so when we say one of our core values is compassionate, acts of service. We're not just saying that we do service and we do good service projects and we do nice things for people. We're saying no, when we do those nice things, when we enter into the pain of others, we're doing so with compassion. We're walking life with them. We're suffering with them. We're saying that's one of the traits of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ here at Hamilton Reformed. That we're not just saying, oh, that's too bad, or I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. We're entering in alongside with the suffering because we're moved because our Lord was moved for us and we're showing all the love that we can. May God be praised in each and every act we take. And may this week be full of acts of compassion in service of others. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know exactly what we need to hear, who we need to be, and how much we yet need to be shaped. Guide us as we go into your world and may we be representatives of you and may we strengthen one another in this work. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.